a lot of people don't recognize um, the trauma, I'll say trauma, that our healthcare employees have faced in the last two years. You hear about uh, healthcare burnout, and healthcare burnout is real. During the pandemic, our employees had to come to the organization, come to work when most people were staying home. Our employees faced very difficult situations of patient pathing related to the, the disease. Our employees had to continue to deliver services when they were fearing their own health and well-being. So um, you're bringing up a really important point that even now, post-pandemic, there's still a lot of recovery that needs to happen. Welcome to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast by Emotional Intelligence Magazine. Emotional Intelligence Magazine is a one-stop resource for anyone looking to learn more about emotional intelligence. In addition to articles, videos, and recommended books to help you develop and expand your EI, Emotional Intelligence Magazine offers a platform for EI coaches and specialists so they can connect with individuals who are ready to take their life or business to the next level. Learn more by visiting ei-magazine.com. That's ei-magazine.com. Or follow us on Instagram at the underscore ei underscore magazine. You can find these links and more in today's show notes. I'm your host, Brittany Nicole, and today I have the pleasure of introducing you to Dr. Jesus Sapiro, who is the current Chief Nursing Officer at Stanford Medicine Children's Health. Dr. Sapiro leads more than 1,900 nurses and has over 20 years of experience in healthcare leadership. He has held nursing and operational leadership roles across multiple specialties, including adult and pediatric emergency departments, critical care, women and infant services, transport, forensics, and surgical services. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of emotional intelligence in the healthcare system. Because time and time again, I hear friends and family sharing their experiences of going into the hospital for a surgery and just not receiving the same care and treatment that that they expected, that they deserved, that they had experienced in previous decades. And so today I want to talk to Dr. Sapero about the importance of ensuring that not only is staff able to display that emotional intelligence to patients, but also get the care that they need. Because as we know, you know, a lot was placed on our healthcare workers, especially during the pandemic. So many left, they were short staffed. And anytime any of us are strained physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it impacts every other facet of our lives and how we interact with other people and how well we can manage our mental and emotional health. So I'm very excited to bring him onto the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast so he can share his insights and how they at Stanford uh, Medicine Children's Health are helping aid their staff so they can aid their patients. So without further ado, here is Dr. Sapero. Dr. Sapero, welcome to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. I am grateful to have you. This is a really important topic of discussion. Um, healthcare and wellness is has been severely impacted, and I imagine it continues to be post-pandemic. And in order to take care of your healthcare workers and patients, I would imagine that emotional intelligence plays a critical role in that, along with holistic healthcare, which we're going to dive a little bit deeper into. But before we get there, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself in your own way to our listeners. Thank you. It's an honor and pleasure to be with all of you today. Um, you know, I've been now a nurse for about 40 years, um, and it really has been a wonderful career, very rewarding. And emotional intelligence is something that actually uh, I had to learn about uh, to really be able to be more effective. So it is something that I pay a lot of close attention to, to uh, not only 
in my everyday work, but in my conversations with my peers, my colleagues, and I also like to teach um, the use of emotional intelligence in the delivery of healthcare services. So uh, to me, it's kind of the chicken and the egg, and this, I believe it's the chicken, and uh, you can't have great healthcare without being able to approach it in a very emotional, uh, emotional, intelligent way. Because when people come to you to talk about what is wrong or what they're feeling or if they're sick, uh, there's usually a big story behind that. Mm -hmm. And if you're not astute enough to know that a person is just not an illness or an injury, um, mm -hmm. you're going to be missing a lot of the help that you could be providing to this person or this family or this community. So I mm. take this very seriously. You mentioned there's always a story behind it. I'm really curious to hear what was your story in getting into nursing in the healthcare industry to begin with? Oh, sure. I'm Cuban born. I came to the United States when I was about seven years old with my two parents. Uh, obviously we were fleeing communism in uh, Cuba and uh, grew up in New Jersey. Uh, and my whole career or my whole life has really been about serving others. So even at early uh, in my teens, I really wanted to help my uh, fellow man and my community. And I joined the volunteer ambulance squad in my town, uh, quickly becoming a paramedic and, uh, you know, going to hospitals and going to scenes to help people was really rewarding. So I thought that uh, a career in healthcare was what I wanted to pursue. But as a paramedic, when I brought patients into the emergency room and I saw what nurses did and what nurses could do because they spend more time with their patient, you know, in a paramedic squad, you're in there for about 20 at most 30 minutes. So you really don't have a chance to connect with the patient. But a nurse does, uh, not only in the emergency room and in the intensive care units and on the floors. Um, it really is a connection that really connects the mind, body, and spirit of that individual. And that's what really drew me to nursing. Uh, I started in the emergency room trauma center as a nurse. Then I quickly gravitated to critical care. Uh, and sometime during the first 10 years, I really uh, enjoyed working with kids uh, and pregnant moms. So most of my career has been in children's hospitals and women's hospitals because that was what my passion was, and it's still my passion today. Mm -hmm. So what inspired you to go from being in those uh, positions first, like hands-on, to now in a leadership position? Now you're a chief nursing officer, so now you're caring for those who care for others. How has that changed the dynamic of things for you? During the lifespan of my career, I recognized that um, I loved what I did. I loved taking care of patients. And it was almost like an immediate gratification when somebody got better or sometimes when they did get better and I helped them uh, and their family transition uh, to the next life. Um, but to me, I really felt that I could make more of a difference if I started to become a leader of healthcare services to really impact the quality of the work that our nurses, our physicians, our respiratory therapists, our pharmacists uh, did for patients' families, uh, patients and families. So to me, I felt that I could make a bigger difference if I could lead um, healthcare services. So right now at Stanford Children's, uh, I have the, uh, you know, the uh, wonderful ability to help and influence the care 2,200 nurses give in our hospital. Um, our total employee base for patient care services and nursing is 3,400 employees. So being able to influence the way that they think about healthcare, the way that they're trained, the way that uh, we implement holistic care in our organization is what really drove me to leadership. Um, it has been a wonderful uh, opportunity to really build new services, to build new programs, and to continue the work of quality, excellence, and patient safety. And um, I've been fortunate enough to now have been doing that almost 25 years in a leadership role. Wow, that's that's wonderful. I hear the word holistic thrown around a lot these days. I think everybody wants to tack holistic on the front of everything. Even for myself, I have 
holistic emotional intelligence specialist now on my LinkedIn bio. But for those who aren't really familiar with what makes holistic care different from regular care, would you mind sharing that with our listeners? And what was the difference between traditional versus holistic? Sure. Early in my career, uh, I looked at healthcare as helping somebody's injury or illness and getting them better. And that's all it was. It was kind of a cookbook type of approach that did help people get better from an injury or illness, but it really did not meet the needs of that individual patient. When you talk about holistic care in healthcare, you talk about the mind, the body, and the spirit. And it is just not about the body. Um, and that's what medicine typically is thought about. You know, you have an injury to your leg, you're going to go in and have your leg fixed. But the person could really be struggling with some mental health issues, some addiction issues, or some chronic illness that may have led them to injure their leg. So, you know, just treating the leg is not what we call holistic care. So holistic care is really assessing the patient's emotional well-being, mental well-being, and those there are differences, uh, physical well-being, social well-being. Right now, we screen every patient that we come across for the social determinants of health because they may be coming in for a stomach problem, but they're food insecure. And really what's happening is that they don't have enough food, well, nutritious food to be able to keep their bodies going. So if you could, if you're treating the stomach injury or illness and not really assessing the person's social determinant issues, then you're really not treating the whole person. And it is really about uh, spiritual as well. We know that spiritual care in healthcare is so important. And that uh, when people have a spiritual belief, their illness and injury actually improves because of that. Um, so really allowing a person to share and express and have support for spiritual services is what we believe in healthcare uh, is essential because it is about the mind, body, and the spirit. And people who have resources to be able to be supported during their illness or injury really do a lot better. And that's been uh, socially and as, uh, statistically proven with research. <clears throat> and then lastly, what we believe is uh, part of the, uh, you know, the, the, the whole picture is also the environment. And we've been seeing a lot about the environment in the news, and it's uh, one of the hot topics in the world right now. But environment is part of the holistic care, um, you know, being able to see that a person has a safe home, not lead line walls uh, where a child, you know, ingesting uh, iron. So, you know, you know, the air quality of a particular neighborhood might be impacting the health needs of that uh, community. So really, holistic care in healthcare is really looking beyond just the injury or the illness the patient's coming in for. Um, as well as not just assessing it, but then trying to do something about it. So our social services department here is wonderful and they provide a lot of uh, resources to patients who need that kind of support. Uh, the resources could be anywhere from meal cards to transportation to follow-up community care uh, because you know we've seen that patients who come in injured or ill get better and go home. But if you don't provide those holistic services beyond the hospital wall, then their illness and injury continues and they come back and back to the organization. So um, the change that I've seen in healthcare in the last 40 years that I've been in this now has really been to not only look inwardly in providing safe, high quality, good care in the hospital, but also providing support for patients and families and the community around the four walls of the hospital. That to me is what holistic healthcare is in the present day. I have so many questions from what <laughs> you just said, and I'm trying to figure out where to start. So I'm just gonna kind of list some of the questions and I'm gonna let you choose where you wanna start and then we'll cover all of them as we go along. The first is you talk about the importance of mind, body, in spirit and healthcare. And 
I feel like for many decades, we've really butchered that and siloed them. Science in general tends to dismiss a lot of the spiritual elements, the intangibles. If we can't measure it, if we can't see it, then it doesn't exist. Now, granted, there are studies that show that a patient that has a window with a view of maybe nature or trees or the sky tends to heal faster than someone who is in a a windowless room, right? But my question is, why do you think or where do you think we went wrong with that? Where did it start to separate? Because you look at indigenous cultures, right? They incorporate all of that, it seems. The spiritual elements, the healing, all of that. Why is it that in Western society, we tend to silo those things instead of create that holistic system? So that's one question. The second question is, since you work with children, your passion is working in pediatrics, what have you noticed post-pandemic has changed in regards to the health of children? Have you noticed that that has had a substantial impact on their health? So whichever one you want to start with. I'll start with your first question, because I think there's been tremendous change in the last four decades about the separation of the spiritual mind to health services in our country, which is a real positive move. I believe at children's hospitals, I think that change has happened a lot quicker than in some of our adult community hospitals around the country. But I think the point was that we were trying to really elevate the way that we cared for people using science. And the science is so important in our delivery of healthcare services. And all of our care should be based on scientific principles or identified, you know, treatments. Um, in, you know, in the early uh, 1900s and late 1900s, I think we were really transforming the way we cared for people using science. Uh, you know, we've discovered lots of new medications, lots of new treatments, lots of new surgeries that have had a tremendous benefits for patients. And healthcare was really focused in on just the scientific application of those new findings in the improvement of healthcare. That's a good thing. Uh, but I think in the early uh, 2000s, especially now in today's world, uh, healthcare has really caught up with that it is just not about the science and that people not only require it because the science has shown that mind-body is an impact on their health, but also because our, our consumers, our patients and their families are demanding it. They don't want to just come to the hospital to be treated for their injury or their illness. They want to come to a hospital because they feel it's a safe place and that all of their needs are being uh, assessed and in any way met, not just because they're coming in for their leg injury. Uh, uh, so the transformation that you've seen in uh, holistic care and healthcare has really been driven by the consumer. A consumer goes to an organization that wants to treat their wholeness. Uh, when you're going to an organization that is just treating the injury or the illness and you're treated and released or treated and treated, as they say, uh, which is a terrible term. But because we have to provide services and we have to do it in an efficient way, you could lose the personal touch that patients are demanding now. So the, tr the change in healthcare to holistic care has been driven by the consumer demand. Because if you go to a hospital and they take care of your injury and they get you out the door in 20 minutes, you might think, wow, that's efficient. But most of the patients think, wow, they really didn't care for me. They didn't really ask me anything about myself or why I was there or how this injury happened. They just took care of my leg and you know, sent me out the door. Um, so what you think happens with those people? They don't go back to that organization. So holistic care has transformed in healthcare services around the country now, especially in children's hospitals and children's and women's hospitals, because of consumer demand. It is not only right 
And you might say, well, isn't that efficient for uh, inefficient for hospitals? Uh, doesn't it take longer? Actually, it doesn't. Studies have shown that connecting with a patient doesn't take any longer uh, to make that connection to what they're there and who they are than a person that's just being serviced or processed in their care. So it does make a difference. Um, and that's what's really transformed uh, and moved and helped us move away from this, the silo. Um, you know, lots of organizations are, you know, using acupuncture, meditation. You would never see that in the late 1900s and early 2000s, but now almost every organization has those services. Um, what hasn't caught up, and that's the biggest issue in healthcare right now, is that insurance companies still are not mm. paying for those services. So yeah. for us to provide holistic care isn't always profitable, but healthcare organizations know and respect the importance of meeting the patient where they are and providing services to the mind and the spirit, not just the healing. So that's what's changed. Um, Post-pandemic uh, has been- Actually, a real... apologies. Oh, sure. You brought something up um, that I want to expand upon because I've seen this in, it's really not an industry thing. A lot of people say, oh, it's this industry or that industry, but it's really just a, a people problem, right? Or how we as a society like to create these systems. So when we talk about connecting with individuals. You mentioned it doesn't take a lot to connect with people. What I've noticed is that the more that we talk about emotional intelligence, holistic, anything, there's these quote unquote should do's. We like to train people like here's how to dot, dot, dot. And so you might find that somebody's going through the motions of this holistic care but that connection isn't quite there, right? It's going through the motions versus genuinely connecting. So my question is, what type of training do you offer or what do you do to help your staff really build those genuine connections versus just going through and checking a box, so to speak? Because I see that happening a lot across various industries when we talk about this stuff. That is a really good question, Brittany. And that's not always easy. Um, it really starts on the recruitment process. When we recruit people, when we hire nurses, when we hire nursing assistants, when we hire pharmacists, we look for quality traits in that individual that um, thinks about or has the emotional intelligence to really understand that providing healthcare services is not checking a box and that connecting is really so important, more important almost than healing a person when they come in ill. Um, and that is one of our first steps uh, in uh, selecting the right individuals that have the, um, what we call peak cares values uh, uh, that the organization believes in. Um, so training on our mission is also done during orientation. So we talked a lot about the multidisciplinary team. So you might be able to check the box, but because we have a multidisciplinary team that is um, in similar mindset in providing those services to the patients and their families, um, it is really difficult to be able to just check the box because you know when you assess somebody, I'm a nurse, though, so and when I assess somebody and they have food insecurity, they really don't have healthy foods at home, I may not be able to address that issue, but I'm going to ask my social work colleagues to come in and work with that patient and the families to get them the resources and support they need. So to me, uh, having a multidisciplinary team that I know is the similarly has the same similar values is what makes the checking of the box process uh, kind of almost not possible in our healthcare settings today. Um, does it happen? Absolutely. We screen for that in our uh, patient satisfaction uh, data. You know, every time a patient comes in for hospital services or if admitted to the hospital, they get a survey at home. And those surveys 
are almost always really positive. But every once in a while, we'll get a comment about somebody who wasn't treated appropriately. So we'll find um, and really re-educate those individuals, talk to them about their interactions with this patient or family um, to really prevent that type of experience from happening again. So we pay a lot of close attention to our patient surveys, and that's why it's so important whenever you're in a hospital or a physician office to really finish and provide that organization a survey because we do care about what that patient's experience was. Um, And we do want to improve our employee and our services to those patients. So um, that's how we uh, kind of mitigate those issues of checking the box. Um, If you're checking a box today, it's really kind of easy to pick those people out, unfortunately, because it is not the way we want to deliver care and services in any organization. Um, So we, number one, screen on our hiring. Two, we orient and train. And then three, we use our employee surveys to really uh, assess our abilities to deliver the holistic care we're looking to give. I hope that answered your question. It, it does. Thank you. And and I think that's wonderful that you have all of these, um, I don't know the right word, but these processes to ensure the best for your patients. You know, unfortunately, with 95% of people lacking self-awareness, I feel like the pool of individuals who are genuinely there, right? Because we can't give what we don't have. Right. And I think so many people dismiss the deep self-work that needs to be done in order to care for others effectively. Um, so when you're talking about these orientations and these trainings, is there a lot of focus on the individualism of that versus here's what it looks like to be a good listener? Here's what we need to do for our patients versus what in your life is going on right now that may hinder you from being able to care for others? What do you need as an individual? What are you dealing with that may prevent you from being able to connect with what we're teaching on a deep and meaningful level. Because I think organizations, obviously nobody wants to say this isn't working right, or, you know, we have X percentage of staff. The the reality is that humanity as a collective is really struggling right now. And that doesn't just stop at any one organization, right? So it's that continuous care. So do you offer services for your individual employees that focus on them as an individual versus as a collective? Thank you for bringing that up because a lot of people don't recognize um, the trauma, I'll say trauma, that our healthcare employees have faced in the last two years. Uh, You hear about uh, healthcare burnout and healthcare burnout is real. Our, you know, Uh, During the pandemic, our employees had to come to the organization, come to work when most people were staying home. Our employees faced very difficult situations of patient pathing related to the the disease. Our employees had to continue to deliver services when they were fearing their own health and well-being. So um, you're bringing up a really important point that even now post-pandemic, there's still a lot of recovery that needs to happen. And another important point, Brittany, you brought up is that some patients come to the organization not really being self-aware and uh, bringing their own issues, whether they be mental issues, social issues, addiction issues, and a lot of employee injuries are happening in hospitals around the country right now. So similar to like the flight attendants, right? The same situation you're seeing in our air, in our in our planes, are happening in hospitals every day, every hour, where uh, people are coming in are that are truly dysregulated, threatening staff or actually physically hurting staff. 
So it is really hard to deliver holistic care when you're feeling threatened or you're not feeling well yourself. So here at Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, we have a really important program called Resilience. And what we talk about resilience is uh, to our staff. So we have a lot of resilience programs, not only in person, but also virtually. We offer mental health services to our employees who are dealing what we call immoral distress uh, because, you know, we're dealing with children sometimes that are not getting better and going home. And that causes a lot of moral distress because none of us came into our, our care to support children passing. Uh, so that really does cause a lot of moral distress. And if you're doing that often enough on a weekly or monthly basis, that does play a toll not excluding anything that they may also be having in their personal lives, because that is so important as well. None of us come to work every day at 100%, right? We, we know that. So when we're not providing the care and services through our employee surveys, we don't really look at that as a failure of that employee. We look at it as there must be something that the employee needs to be supported on. And uh, we usually try never to do punitive measures uh, unless it's a constant, repeated offense. You know, we really look at the employee as needing support and service and care themselves. Because mm. any organization, the most important asset in that organization is their employees. And if we're not taking care of our employees in a holistic way as well, then we're not really serving our community or patients well because those are the people that are providing those services. So we provide mental health services. We provide uh, staff lounges to be able to go and decompress during their shift. Because as you can imagine, somebody who's just lost a child, right? A nurse who's just lost a child or a pharmacist or a respiratory therapist can't just go back and now start taking care of the next child that they're, that's being admitted. They need some downtime. So we take those um, holistic approaches with our staff as well, uh, because we know that if we don't, what does that lead to? People leaving their professions, people leaving the organization. And as you've heard and seen in the news, um, there's a lot of healthcare worker shortages right now. So every employee is gold, <laughs> it's valued, is valued. Um, so we don't want to lose any valuable team members because of burnout, burnout related to moral distress, or burnout because they have their own life situations that they need help with too. So we're pretty proud of our resilience program. Can we do better and can we do more? Absolutely. Every organization probably would say the same thing, but we do take, um, we do put a lot of time and effort into our employee resilience because we know how valuable they all are. What you said, I think, is critical. And for anybody listening that is a leader out there, coming to that person if they had a bad review and instead of slapping them on the hand with the ruler, <laughs> saying, hey, this is unlike you, what's going on? Right. That is so important, so critical. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll now just quickly we, give yeah, you a, one quick example. You know, we had a wonderful employee who was a great nurse and patients loved her, but she was coming in late every day. And, uh, you know, of course, being late doesn't is not a good thing. Uh, so we tracked it and tracked it. And then finally, we went to sit down with her and asked her, you know, there's something going on. Is there anything we could help you with? And she she opened up. She broke down. She cried. She was like, "I'm sorry. You know, I, I have childcare. I just got separated from my husband, um, and it's just been really difficult to have, manage." You know, that was a wonderful employee that we would have lost if we would have said, "You know, this is it. Too you know, too bad. You have to leave." Um, so we gave her some support. We hooked her up with social services and mental health support, um, and within like three months, she was back to herself and she was. She had addressed the issues at home and was able to continue to work that we valued. 
So that was a good, what I call save, um, that really uh, demonstrates the ability to look at somebody holistically, not just as a, you know, a, a person to come in, punch a clock and go home. You know, we, they're not widgets. Our people are are one of our biggest assets, as I said before. So sorry, right. I just wanted to give you that one. Oh, example. no, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. And, and just the tone, right? Asking a question, asking the same question with the same words can come across very differently. Like, what's going on with you? Maybe judgmental versus, hey, what's going on with you? Is everything okay? You know, it's that tone, that energy you talk about the spiritual side of things, we really can pick up on the intention behind the words. And so really having that care and that heart and that love in assessing that and asking those questions. Yeah. is so critical. Um, That's why I said it at the beginning of the podcast. I said emotional intelligence in leadership is so important um, because you can't just do processes or policies to manage and take care of everything. You really have to have emotional intelligence in the way you approach everything, not just your clients, your patients, their families, but your employees as well. Um, So that's how seriously I take this emotional intelligence. And we do a lot of training on how to ask the question, how to not be uh, in a, in a punitive way, asking questions, but in a, uh, really transparent, caring way. Uh, and I, that does make a difference because that's what healthcare should be, right? So healthcare mm-hmm. for our employees and, and that approach to our employees should also be the same way. And leadership in general, to me, you cannot be a leader without emotional intelligence. You're just a manager. And right. I'm not meaning manager in a hierarchy sense, but manager in you are just making sure things don't get stuck in the gears and everything is operating effectively, right? Um, so significant difference there for in sure. Leaders, in leadership that you're always asked, well, are you holding employees accountable? You know, yes, mm. you could do that in a non-punitive, caring way, as well as you could do it uh, in, in, a, in getting your business done. <laughs> and right. that is... A fine line, uh, because if you're treating people like widgets, you'll be very productive and you'll be burning out the system, right? It's like mm-hmm. a machine. If if a machine's working 24 hours a day, eventually it'll break down. <laughs> so uh, employees are the same way. You can't treat employees as machines. You could hold them accountable to get the work done, but you could do it in a caring, and I hate to use the word loving, but... Uh, oh, I'd I love to use why why I hate to use the word loving. That's a beautiful word that we need to implement. In healthcare, yeah. love in managing your workforce plays a big role in their satisfaction, their value, and the way that then they carry out the mission and values of the organization. Yes. And I think that's another critical point. We shy away in leadership from using that word love. And, and that's really problematic for me because I think it's because of how we define love. Love doesn't have to be weak. In fact, love is not weak. Love is strong. Love, love can be assertive. Love can be gentle. Love can be all of those things. And I genuinely believe that love heals. And when we try to work that word out of the system because it kind of makes some people uncomfortable, I think the question we should be asking is, well, why wow. does that mm-hmm. word make you uncomfortable exactly right are you lacking that within yourself you know and and the other one is you know spirituality regardless of what your beliefs are i believe that i'm a better leader because i have strong spiritual beliefs and values and i do bring that to work because that's who i am uh and i have no problem speaking to that when i'm you know at talking to my colleagues my employees anyone who Cares to ask about how I use spirituality and my leadership, but I do believe that plays a role as well because that brings the set of values, regardless of what you believe, to the way you are and how you act and how you ask questions and how you treat others. And I do believe um, anybody with a spiritual background is also, uh, it's an important trait in a leadership role as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the problem lies in the 
context people bring. They bring their own context to mean and meanings to words. And so they impose that on what you mean by love and what you mean by spirituality. And if they don't have a healthy relationship with those terms themselves, then they're going to assume that it falls within that same context for you as well. Again, another sign of a EQ deficiency, as I like to call it, imposing on other people. On that aspect, we do a lot of training on unconscious bias. So uh, all our employees, all our leaders have gone through unconscious bias training, which really first asks you to check yourself as to what you believe and to uh, learn how to accept others' beliefs, which is really important because um, you don't want to impose your values or beliefs on others. Right. You just want to understand what their beliefs are and values are so that you could support them in their care. And that is uh, quite challenging, but it's really been effective in helping us train our uh, leaders to kind of check their biases when they're dealing with their either employees or their patients or their families, because everybody brings a different paradigm to the situation, to the communication, to the issue that's being addressed. Um, And you certainly want to help and support them, but not by imposing uh, your values and your beliefs. And I think that's made a difference in our environment here um, at Lucille Packard, but uh, it is something that we pay close attention to. And all of our leaders go through unconscious bias training. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, Before, because I know we're, this time is flying by, which is wild. It's hard to believe we've already been talking for almost 45 minutes. So before we kind of end this conversation, I want to make sure that we really talk about um, post-pandemic children's health and and what you've noticed, because I'm sure a lot of people listening have children. And I don't know if they've been experiencing more health issues or maybe is there a correlation there, you know, with recovery and, and things of that nature? I really don't know the right way to ask that. But what have you seen post-pandemic in regards to pediatric care? Certainly the world has changed post-pandemic, and there's a lot of fear still in our mothers and fathers in immunizing and wellness for children. You know, it is now more essential than ever for children to be seen by pediatricians on a routine basis to manage their everyday care. Um, So I know people are afraid to go to doctor's offices and hospitals because They still believe that there's this virus out there that could get them ill, but actually managing illness and patient uh, routine care is now more essential than ever. Getting the proper immunizations to keep your children well is more important than ever. And I know there's a lot of fear and anxiety about immunizations, but talk to your healthcare providers about proper immunizations um, because, you know, we've seen... Uh, outcrops of like polio, which has been eradicated around the country because of fear of immunization. So right now, post-pandemic, it's more important now that you have a really strong relationship with your provider, your physician, and your nurse practitioners that are seeing you in your communities for your routine uh, child care issues. So more important than ever to have healthy wellness, uh, well children, is to have that relationship with your provider to get the right information, to make the right decisions about your child's care. So please continue to bring children in for the routine checks and the routine immunizations they need to keep them well and healthy. So let's focus um, a little bit on the mental emotional elements of that. Have you noticed a correlation between illness in your patients and your pediatric patients and the social emotional impact that the pandemic has had? Uh, In two ways. One, uh, we've seen more mental health issues than ever. (laughs) And I believe that had a lot to do with depression, social uh, anxiety. You know, they were quarantined for quite a long period of time. And as children returned to schools, 
we saw a lot of mental illness uh, and anxiety disorders related to that social disconnect that had happened during the pandemic. And uh, that fear and those, um, you know, mental issues have really played a role, not only in uh, schools, but in, you know, social activities that they didn't have for so long. And now, you know, having social activities is kind of awkward and different than having somebody on a Zoom as we're speaking today on. Um, so that has really led to a lot of that anxiety disorders and depression in children we had never seen before. Uh, and then secondly, those led to sometimes uh, addiction issues. Um, so we're seeing more addiction issues than ever before in hospitals, in children, and women's services. And those obviously play an important factor in illness, chronic illness, uh, and disease. Um, so those two um, have been significant post the pandemic that all organizations are dealing with at this point. Um, and as you know, <clears throat> mental services in our communities is still uh, one of the biggest challenges that we're all facing, um, getting children services in our communities to support mental illness has been quite a challenge. There's just not enough providers for the volume of cases that we're seeing mm. today. Yeah. When you speak of addiction, what sorts of addictions have you noticed? Because, you know, there's, I feel like there's a lot of technology addictions because people place their children in front of more screen time, but then there's also substance addictions. What types of addictions are you seeing? You, you got two of them. There's so many uh, eating disorders. There's mm. uh, sexual disorders. There's, you know, alcohol, of course. And then all of the, the myriads of drugs that are out in our communities right now that children are turning to because of their stress, their depression, their anxiety. Um, and that's kind of the unhealthy way to, to go about uh, addressing those type of mental issues, uh, mental health issues. So um, you're, you're, you're seeing pretty much a myriad of different things right now. Wow. Um, do you have any advice, like if a parent's listening and they can resonate with what you're saying, do you have any advice for them to help aid in resources for any form of addiction? Every county, um, most counties, I should say every, most counties have uh, some addiction resource services, mental health resource services. Right. There is a number to call in every state that parents can access for needing uh, support for uh, children's mental health issues uh, and getting them connected. Obviously, if there's any kind of suicidal ideation, because the number of suicides in children across the country has grown post-pandemic as well. You want to get them help right away. You want to bring those children to the emergency room for evaluation or call your local police department if you have a situation at home where that it could be dangerous for yourself or for your child. So they're there to help. I know that people right now are, are kind of leery or anxious about calling the police, but really what they're there to do is really help people. Um, so those are that's a uh, situation that you might want to get quick access to uh, support. Yeah. And I think it's also critical going back to what you're talking about and how you deal with employees who are struggling, right? And not shaming, not um, disciplining them in a harsh way. I see so many posts of parents on social media talking about they took their kid's device away and they just completely destroyed the house. You know, we're breaking televisions, punching holes in walls. And it it's so disheartening for me to see the comments saying, what a brat, they would have their beat if they were my child. And I understand people don't know what they don't know. And right. if they were raised in a home that was zero tolerance for that type of behavior and the solution, quote unquote, was to physically discipline that child. I just want to let the listeners know that 
this isn't something, it's not bratty behavior. This is a distress call that we really need to be vigilant and care. Again, this love word, right? We need to exhibit love, which can be really hard if we didn't experience that growing up. But this is a cry for help. Absolutely. A cry for help. And it takes emotional intelligence in that parent to recognize that. And you said something really important. It is not about shaming and blaming. It is about assessing and taking care of the patient where they are. (laughs) And sometimes where they are is not where you want them to be. And that is one of the biggest and most difficult challenge any parent has to face. But um, supporting each other, uh, because there are lots of parent support groups uh, out there as well that could help you manage a difficult situation at home with your child that you should also be getting some help. It's just not always about the patient. And that's mm-hmm. what holistic care is about. You have to treat the whole family, right? Yeah. So when a child comes to the hospital in that type of situation that you just described, you also want to pull the parent aside and ask them how they're doing and how they're coping and if they need help and support, because they're going to have to go home with that child eventually and and be faced with the same situation. So you want to help them as much as you can for the patient as well. Mm. And that's a true, true way of thinking about how is healthcare holistic. You could just Mm. treat the patient, give them a medication that can help numb them a little bit and manage their behavior and send them on their way. But you're not really taking care of the situation, are you? Right. That's that's a good point. And I would imagine some parents would feel shame themselves. You know, what did I do wrong for them to behave this way? And, and we shouldn't feel guilty. This is a systemic issue that has just been uh, conditioned over and over and over through the generations. And slowly but surely, we're lifting that. Uh, but it takes time and it takes patience and it really does take that acceptance of self in order to be accepting of uh, our children and our colleagues and others in the community. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, Dr. Sapira, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to join us today. And Renee, if anybody would fun. like, this has not yes. been my gut. It's been, you're right. It went really fast. And I appreciate it. Did. It did. It went very fast. Thank you so much. Uh, so how can people learn more about the work that you're doing? Well, Lucille Packer Children's Hospital has a wonderful website that you could really access a lot of our care uh, resources and, and, uh, services. Um, And if you're looking to learn more about holistic care, there's a wonderful uh, website that it deals with just mind, body, and spirit, the holisticlifefoundation.org, that you could understand and learn more about holistic services and care. So any of those resources would be wonderful for all of you to look at. Fantastic. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes so it's easy for them to find. Um, But thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.